what is the purpose of the local church? And this isn't a rhetorical question. This isn't a trick question. You're going to say something, and I'm going to correct you in front of everyone. Um, there are many right answers to this question. Children, do you have any ideas? Maybe it's written in your books that you're reading somewhere. The purpose of the church. Any ideas? Yes. Worship Christ. I agree. Other ideas of what the purpose, why we do this? Build up saints. Make disciples. Community. Light of the world. Bringing lost in. Reflect Jesus. This is some pretty fueling station. Fueling station. The coming week. Who said that? Glorify God. All good answers, and I think they're all part of the purpose of church. Why we gather together. Why we, last week we we did a covenant together. Why we do that. As I kind of scanned through the the New Testament, so, so many answers to that question came to my mind. I mean, peacemaking and reconciliation, that's, that's part of the ministry of God that, that Christ has given to us and, and to love God with our whole being and love one another and, and bearing witness to Christ, serving those in need, sharing the gospel. There's just so many different aspects of the purpose of the local church. One of the, the key assumptions that I have made uh, is, is the primary purpose of the church is, is the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. I kind of brought those together. Great commandment is to love God with our whole being and love others as we love ourselves. And the great commission is to, you know, Matthew 28, go therefore into all nations and make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching others to obey, to put into practice what Jesus has taught us. And as I spent time with that, I, I, I came to question that assumption, that that is central to the mission of the local church. For, for years, I've kind of assumed that. And really, it was just, just spending time with it and realizing, first of all, that, that mission and commission was given to those 12 apostles. And that's what they did. They traveled all throughout the, the world, the known world. And they made disciples, established churches, baptized people, taught people the way of Jesus. That was the apostles, the 12 apostles. When I look at local churches, the early churches in, in the New Testament, like the, the church in, in Jerusalem and Ephesus and Corinth, I don't see those local churches, like us, a group of people, moving and traveling to other nations to make disciples. I don't see that. So I started, okay, okay let's, let's unpack that a little more. Perhaps that isn't, Central Now, discipleship is obviously a part of the multifaceted mission and purpose of the church. But perhaps that great commission, maybe, maybe I have to understand that in a bit more of a particular context. And that's what I love about uh, spiritual journeys, 
You know, if we continue to spend time steeping in Scripture and in prayer and meditation, our understanding of God and, and the way God operates in our lives and the world will continue to evolve and expand and change. That's why it's not boring. If your Christian life is boring, you're doing something wrong, right? What I came to question, another assumption, is this idea of, of church being a bunch of individuals who are sent to go make a difference in the world around them. That's something that I have believed. And I've come to question that. I've come to see the church as, as God bringing us together. And I, I, wanna, I better read this to, to articulate what, what came to my mind. But we're called to come together to be a different kind of community. To demonstrate a different way of being human together. Many of the things that we, well, I think all of the things that we named are part of the multifaceted purpose and mission of the church. But what is the primary purpose of this? I think it has something to do with, with Jesus' primary focus, which should make sense, right? Doesn't that stand to reason that the church would kind of embody the primary focus of Jesus' life teaching ministry? And what was the central teaching, proclamation, uh, activity of Jesus? Kingdom of God, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what Jesus was about. Jesus talked about a lot of things, but his central focus was the kingdom of God. Now, I understand the kingdom of God to be wherever people recognize and respond to the presence of God accordingly. Does that make sense? In, in, in more you know, archaic, ancient language uh, where people were used to kings. I mean, we don't, we don't really think about kings, right? Um, but, but in the ancient world, it would be recognizing God is the king and then responding to the king appropriately. I'm not sure that language really helps us today. Some of us, it might. You know, people who are really into Lord of the Rings or something and, and are, have a secret pining for a king to follow, that might, that might work. But for many of us, that can even get in the way, right? So it's, I think a good way of articulating that in our time and place, in our culture, is, is to recognize and respond to the presence of God accordingly. That's the focus of Jesus. And instituting the church comes another layer on top of that. God brings us together. And our, our purpose is to, to recognize and respond to God's presence together. And God does something through that that fulfills God's mission. What God does through us recognizing and responding to God's presence together is God reveals God's presence to the world around us. I'm going to repeat that probably a number of times because at, at first you're just like, yep, yep, yep. But it's, it's a paradigm shift. At least it has been for me. I mean, think about it this way. If the primary purpose was to go and make disciples, I don't need the church to do that. I, you guys are great, but I don't need you to go and make disciples, go out and witness and, and proclaim the gospel to other people. If the primary purpose of the church is spiritual growth, I don't, I don't need this. 
I don't need a you know, Sunday morning gathering, and I don't need all of you to grow spiritually. If the primary purpose of the church is, is to go serve people who are in need, well, we don't need this. There's lots of organizations and agencies in town that we can join and participate in to go serve people who are in need. Worship. I don't, I don't need this to worship. I put in a CD and sing along and open up my heart to God. I mean, you go through the list of things. Community. I don't need this for community. I mean, I have other communities in my life, to be honest, where I can probably be more vulnerable and transparent and real. I don't need this for community. So what, what, what is this all about? This group of people coming together. Why would God institute that? The intention of God saying you need to get together, you need to covenant together, you need to walk together as a a, a group of people, as I bring you together, is because I'm trying to reveal my presence to the world around you through the way you do life together. I will quote someone else, and maybe it'll make it clearer. David Fitch. How many people know David Fitch? Okay. Clearly, more of you need to know David Fitch. He's, he's a, a theologian, professor, pastor that I'm, I've been really digging for the last 10 years, and especially over the last couple years. Um, it, it doesn't hurt that he's a hockey fan. You know, that, that's, that, that helps. Uh, he, he puts it this way. We must shift the church's focus and mission from being a the volunteer training organization for sending individuals out into the world to work for God's mission. We've got to transition from that to focus and mission being a socially visible way of life that challenges what North Americans live for and the power North Americans use to secure it. Now, there was a, you know, about a thousand different ways that I was going to explore that, but I, I, want, to, I want to stay focused on this Comparison contrast from the status quo mentality of churches with mission is we train missionaries. We train social justice workers. We we train peacemakers. We train program leaders and volunteers. And we send them out into the world, into other countries, especially developing countries, and into the poorer sections of town, downtown core, into, into areas where there are many needs, and then those people go and do God's mission in the world. David Fitch is saying that's, that's not God's mission. And that's a, that, some of you are like, huh, right? Took me a while for this to really sink in as well. What he's saying is God's mission is when we embody a completely different way of life that challenges the status quo of the world around us. Something we can't do as individuals. We can only do that together. Embody a way of life together. God's mission is for us to be a micro city. And if, let's just use our context, if the city of Stratford, everyone in the city of Stratford was to do life together to be human together the way we be human together, there would be far less poverty, far less loneliness, far less violence, and hatred, and division. There would be far more peace, far more joy, far more love, equality, justice. Jesus calls us a city on a hill. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, 
we often don't recognize the lenses that we have been given. And it's important to kind of just take time and space for all of us, and, and that'll mean different things for each and every one of us, but to, to actually just become aware of the lenses through which we see the world, the lenses through which we interact with Scripture and God. Because two of the primary lenses that we see everything and everyone is through the lens of individualism and through the lens of materialism. And we're not even aware of it, how, how conditioned we have become with those two ideologies. We're not even aware of it. So when we hear something like that, you are the light of the world, it, it's, it's often natural to think, I as an individual am the light of the world. But Jesus, in many cultures today even, but 2,000 years ago, ancient Judeans didn't hear that and think, I as an individual. No, they knew Jesus was addressing his ecclesia, his community of disciples. We together are the light of the world. We together are the salt of the earth. We together are a city on a hill. We together are a lamp that is elevated and placed high on a lampstand so that we can provide light to all the people around us. And then Jesus says, let your light shine together so that people will glorify God. When you go and let your individual light shine, and I'm not discouraging you from doing that. All of you, go out, do your thing. Do, make your magic that only you can make. I empower you and release you to go let your individual light shine. But here's the reality. When you go let your light shine, and you go be the awesome, loving, generous, compassionate person that you are, when people encounter you, they don't think, oh, Praise God. God is amazing. Even if you verbally give credit to God. Hey, that's not me. That's just God working through me. When I meet an amazing person, a kind, loving, generous person, I don't walk away typically thinking, oh, God is so amazing. Not any more than I do at any other moment. I usually walk away thinking, wow, I just encountered a really awesome person. And you probably do too. Wow, that was an amazing person. Because I, and it's not that rare. It's amazing how many amazing people there are in Stratford. And many of them are not Christians. Many of them don't go to church. And when I meet them, I walk away thinking, wow, I just met another amazing person who's full of light. Now, when I encounter a group of people, a community, especially a diverse community, I mean, where there are Republicans and Democrats in the same group of people. First of all, I'm like, whoa, something's up. Where there are people who, who voted for, for Doug Ford and there are people who, who are, are radical Green Party animal activists in the same community. When there's a, I'm talking a diverse community where there are people with, with different politics and theological beliefs and, and different ideas of what a good time is and different ideas of what's ethical and moral. I'm talking demographic diversity both in, in, in age and in socioeconomic class. And I encounter that diverse group of people. And together, they are loving, generous, kind, and full of light. Then I step back and say, I am witnessing a miracle. That couldn't happen without God. Because I'll tell you why. I've been around church my whole life, and I've been in pastoral ministry for 20 years. 
And I can tell you a lot of things, but one thing I will proclaim is when two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, there are at least seven strong different opinions on how we should be gathering. In defense of church, few groups, few social groups have the diversity that we have. I mean, I don't know too many people who have social groups where they would choose to hang out with this group. Most of our social groups consist of people that we really enjoy and we're kind of, you know, we have similar things going on. Look around. If you chose your social community, how how many of these people really are you kind of really connecting with? If you weren't part of the same church community, how often are you guys hanging out? I mean, for most of you, it's less than half probably, right? My brother... um, I won't say which one. There's three of them, so I'm giving them some anonymity. But he, he, he no longer goes to church. Okay, that's down to two. Uh, and he, he often wonders, why do you do it? And he, grew, he grew, also grew up in the church, so he does come with uh, a certain amount of awareness and understanding and, and, and experience. He says, churches are weird. <laughs> They're just so weird. And, and not only are they weird, but they just attract the weirdest people. Why would you choose to work there? And, you know, I can't deny it. We're, we're, we're weird, right? And we, we put a, basically, a church has a big sign. It's, it's implied. I hope it's implied. Weirdos welcome. And we, we gather and, yeah, seriously, you look around, you're like, would this be my social circle, my social group? If I was to choose it, no, no. But God has brought us together. I believe God brings us together. First of all, to, to reveal to us that we're all a little weird. You know, we're all thinking, oh yeah, I know that weirdo. That you, know, you could be the weirdo. We all are the weirdo in our own ways. And God brings us together, and it can only work with supernatural grace and power. That's the only way this works. I mean, most social groups, even that's kind of difficult. I mean, there's, you know, there's drama at the golf club, right, this week. Like, there's, there's drama everywhere. You put this kind of diverse group of people together, it's amazing it works at all. The reason God brings us together, this assembly of community, is to glorify God. Now, glorify God. What does that mean? That's a, that's a term we use all the time. And, and, and for some of us who've grown up with it, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. It just fits in with all the other weird stuff here, I guess. But what does glorify God mean? Well, another word that the Bible often uses is magnify. So we magnify God. Well, what does magnify? What, think of a magnifying glass. What does it do? It makes something that's hard to see more visible. That's what this is supposed to do. Make God. God is hard to see. Many people around us are like, I don't believe in God because I can't see God. God's mission is us coming together and in our doing life together in such a spectacular, supernatural way that we make God's presence more visible to people around us. That's the heart of God's mission. 
It's much easier for us to distract ourselves with, okay, from 7 to 9 o'clock tonight, I'm going to go work at the soup kitchen, ticked off my mission. That's easy compared to learning how to really love each and every one of you, pointing at all of you. Some of you are easier than others. I'm not going to lie to you. And I know I have my days where I'm the toughest. I got an amen from Shane. And I... And I know there was, <laughs> he tried to throw his voice, but I, I was a part of a church. There was a, a, a livestock farmer and a PETA activist. I mean, a radical animal rights activist who had done some, let's say, interesting things. They became friends, they became brothers in Christ, but they didn't know these two tidbits about one another until about six months into the relationship. I was there when it happened. And I remember the look in the farmer's eye when he realized who he had let into his life and into the life of his family. It was a look of terror. These, these groups, I mean, we're talking, these are enemies. I mean, if you know anything about this, go Google. I mean, this farmer had let the enemy into his life. I mean, someone who belonged to a group whose sole ambition was to destroy his life, his livelihood. I'm not exaggerating. To say these two tribes are at war is a fact. I saw the look in the, the animal rights activist's eyes, and, he, and his look was more one of bewilderment, disappointment, and confusion. And I remember he uttered these words, but, but you're such a nice guy. But you're such a lovely person. Those were his exact words. How can this be? And I watched over the next hour, the next week, the next year, these two men walk together and grow together and have some very intense, difficult conversations and often agree to disagree and then sometimes just disagree. There was just nothing to agree at all upon even disagreeing. And choose to transcend the battle, the barrier, the division, and love each other. That is what glorifies God. That is what makes God's presence visible to the people around us. Both of those guys on their own are awesome human beings. And when people meet them, they walk away thinking, that's an awesome guy. They don't think, wow, God's presence is so much clearer to me now. That relationship, that choosing to love when they belong to tribes that are at war with one another, that magnifies the presence of God. Am I making sense slowly and surely? Ephesians 2, 14 to 18. Christ is our peace. He has made us one. Has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between our groups and tribes, abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and rules, creating in himself one new humanity in the place of divided humanity. I don't know about you, but I, I look around, <laughs> and some days all I see is division. The news, Twitter, Facebook, just listening to people talk. I mean, I can't remember. I'm not that old, so maybe it's not, but I can't remember this much division just 
It seems to hang over us like humidity. And what, what has become clear to me as I am slowly starting to understand the true mission of God is us. Isn't that crazy? Think about it. Like we, how we do community, how we be human together is God's mission. That's kind of nuts. God is trying to reveal through us that unity is the truth. Unity is reality. The divisions around us are lies. They're illusions. The division between my farmer friend and and my pita friend, the division is a lie. What is the truth is the unity. In Christ, all are one. All are united. The church is supposed to reveal this to the world. Look, it's true. Unfortunately, we don't always do a fantastic job. But I don't want to beat up on us because it's not an easy job. And it's an impossible job when we try and do it on our own. And I think that's been the problem. We're trying to be really loving, amazing people on our own. We're not going to be able to do it. We need supernatural help. By this, all people will know that you are truly my disciples if you love one another. For years, I just stopped with love. They'll know we are Christians by our love. That's not what Jesus says. By you loving one another. That is what reveals to the world what life is supposed to be like, what community is supposed to be like, what humanity is supposed to be like. 